This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hi friends, uh, sorry in advance if I sound like shit. I feel like shit, <laughs> so um, I just woke up out of a deathly cold slumber and I figured I should do this now and then go back to bed. Um, yeah. Um, so I could have realistically taken this day as my off day and just recorded something next week, but I'm actually really excited. I mean, I know you can't tell by the sound of my voice, but I'm actually very excited to cover, um, this true crime and I didn't even type it up. I literally left it in handwritten notes the way I was researching it because this whole thing was like one big, um, rabbit hole. Which you know, I love. I love me some good rabbit holes. So, um, I, I, I just left it, and I'm going to describe it to you guys, the the way I figured it out. Um, and I mean, this case is still, I mean, technically up in the open. I mean, not really, but kind of. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I yeah, and I'm gonna stop repeating myself. Anytime now. Anytime now, I will stop repeating myself. <laughs> and like I said, I will apologize in advance. I will probably be pausing frequently to cough off camera because nobody wants to listen to me cough as much as I am. And uh, I really, I really have been fighting off being sick for like four days now and pretending like I wasn't sick. Like Friday, I was like, oh, no, no, no. It's just because it's getting warmer and it's not me getting sick. Why would it be? And then Saturday... Uh, Chris and I went to the Cleveland Natural History Museum, and I really didn't feel that great then either, but I was having a good time, and that's when I recorded all those videos, because, like, I didn't realize the combo of, like, the day cool I took plus the beers I drank, and that's why those videos are shit, but I I was drunk, and I posted them anyways, and I still feel like shit then. Then yesterday was the Super Bowl, and I actually left right after halftime, which, first of all, what the fuck was Shakira doing with her mouth? I mean, I'm into it, but why did she do that? I don't know. Had the halftime show was everything I ever wanted it to be. It was majestic. It was beautiful. It was stunning. And then I left because I, I couldn't sit there anymore. I was falling asleep on the couch. I didn't feel good. And then last night I went to bed at like nine and I woke up and it is, it is 11 o'clock in the morning now. And I'm recording this on Monday. I called off work. I don't feel good. And here I am because the only thing that I know to do that makes me feel better is true crime and talking about true crime. And I thought maybe for just one second, we could sit here and talk about true crime, and maybe I wouldn't feel so shitty. Um, right now, it's not working, but I'm gonna try. <laughs> I'm gonna try to power through this, because I can. I have the I have the ability, and I have the will, and today, we're talking about the Reinert murders. Okay, so I was just reviewing my notes, trying to figure out if there was, like, a way I should, um, maybe preface this beginning part, but I am not going to. Um, so there are, there will be, I lied to you, I will be repeating myself, but this repeating myself is like part of the story, um, because it was stuff I was writing down as I was digging deeper, and it's like, oh, well, this thing that I found earlier kind of re-relates to this, you know, you know how storytelling goes, and how I'm usually not the best at it, <laughs> but I'm gonna try my best today. Um, okay, so this whole story starts when Susan Reinert's body is found in the trunk of her own car on June 25th, 1979. 
Um, she was a Philadelphia area school teacher. She taught English. Um, she had been beaten, wrapped with chains, and then stuffed inside her trunk, which was left in a, uh, a Harrisburg parking lot. Um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, she was married with two children, Karen, who was 11, and Michael, who was 10. Um, she was having an affair with a fellow teacher named William Bradfield. He went by Billy, Billy Bradfield. Um, their affair had started in the mid-1970s. And by July, uh, or sorry, by June of 1979, when her body was found, Susan had divorced her husband and taken out a $730,000 life insurance policy on herself, payable only to, you guessed it, Billy Bradford. Um, so obviously there's there's some suspicion that arises there from this because that's, you know, a great deal of money payable out to only one person. And usually, usually that's how people end up murdered, typically. Um, so there's, but there's another man in this game. Um, his name is J.C. Smith. And I only remember his name because every time I wrote it out, I thought of Jay-Z except J.C. You get it? Um, uh, he was the former principal of the high school that both of these teachers, so Susan Reinhart and Billy Bradfield are both teachers at the same school. J.C. Smith was the former principal of that high school. Um, so J.C. <laughs> and uh, Billy Bradford were both charged in the three murders. Um, the children's bodies were never found. So Bradfield was convicted of planning the murder and Smith was convicted of the murdering. Um, Bradfield was sentenced to life in prison in 1983 and died in prison in 1998. Um, Smith was released after evidence in, um, indicated misconduct by prosecution in his case. What a, what a wild page turn you guys just heard. These are also known as the mainline murders. I did not know that when I started researching this, so it's a little late for me to tell you that now, but these are also called the mainline murders. Um, I thought I was being cool calling it, like, the Reinhardt murder mystery. Uh, do with it what you will. Um, so J.C. Smith was convicted in 1986 and sentenced to death. He spent six years on, um, Pennsylvania's death row before being released. Um... He died in May, on May 12th, 2009, from a heart condition. Um, he was married in 2002. And, um, so this is kind of where I was alarmed. Because, you know, it seems like, okay, this might make sense. Maybe J.C. Smith and Billy Bradfield were, like, kind of friends. Or, you know, whatever. Maybe they had something. But, so, J.C. Smith had a daughter back in 1978 who went missing and was never found. And you're like, huh, that's kind of weird, right? So I went down this rabbit hole of J.C. Smith. Who was he? Um, he was not the perfect guy. He was the Upper, Mar Upper Marion Area High School principal. He had a reputation for being eccentric, and he would go on rants over the school PA system, um, like just over-the-top rants that actually got him in trouble. He was convicted of firearm violation and the robbery of a Sears, and his daughter and son-in-law vanished in 1978. Uh, so this is kind of like a weird loopity doop around. Loopity doop. Ew. Never gonna say that again. Um, so Susan Reinhardt's body was found in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay, it's weird because Bradfield was away 
in New Jersey at the time of the murders. Sorry, my handwriting's really awful to read. But, uh, so Billy Bradfield wasn't even in Pennsylvania. He wasn't anywhere near the scene. He wasn't anywhere near where the body was found. He was away in New Jersey, which was corroborated by many a people. He was definitely not in the area. Um, but guess who was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the day the bodies were, or the day the body was found? J.C. Smith. He was there because he was being tried for the robbery of the Sears. So he was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that day the body was found. Um, he, bup, 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 weirdly enough, Smith was in Harrisburg today. Yes. He filed several lawsuits and said that he wished a nuclear bomb would drop over Pennsylvania because he got released from being on death row. Um, yeah. Which I, I know I talk about why he got released from being on death row in a little bit. So sorry that I don't have this in here. Like I said, I didn't edit this. I literally just wrote it out. Now I'm reading it to you. And, um, yeah, there's something happened with the prosecution. I'll remember it shortly because I'll read it shortly. But he, he got released from death row and then he filed so many lawsuits saying, you know, this wasn't anything. I should be, I shouldn't have been convicted, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he also even wrote a 439 page book to proclaim his innocence. I did not read it. I do not want to. Um, okay. So let's talk about the missing daughter, JC Smith's missing daughter, because this is quite fascinating. And if you know, you're like, wow, J.C. Smith just seemed like a weird eccentric dude who may have gotten stuck in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong. You're wrong about all of it. Because I think he's guilty as shit. Okay, so J.C. Smith's daughter was last seen on February 25th, 1978. She was 24 years old. She and her husband, Edward Hunsberger, um, they were addicted to heroin. They were married in 1977, um, and neither one was employed, and Stephanie sometimes turned to sex work to make a couple bucks. Um, in September, the couple tried to make a new start and moved away, moved in with JC uh, on February 25th after they left Ed's parents' house. Um, Ed's parents never saw them again. Several weeks later, Ed's parents contacted JC Smith and asked where the kids were, Jay had told them that the couple packed up and moved to California, fleeing from um, drug dealers. They left all their belongings, including toothbrushes, and uncashed income tax return. Um, Smith admitted to cashing some of Stephanie's checks for himself, um, some of her welfare checks for himself. So you're going to tell me that they went to visit Ed's parents, the, the, the in-laws, and then just disappeared forever, and they fled to California without cashing their income tax return. I, toothbrushes, whatever, because, you know, they're, they're flippant. You can, they're so easy to repurchase, like, you can just buy a new toothbrush, it's easy. But an income tax return, I'm assuming, I mean, if you've got two heroin addicts, that's a decent amount of money that they would want to take with them, especially if they're driving to California or disappearing to California from Pennsylvania, that's quite a long distance. And I think you'd want that income tax return with you, right? Or... You know, does that make any sense? <laughs> I don't see that part. I doesn't make any sense. And the fact that he's cashing her welfare checks really seemed seedy, slimy. I didn't like that. I don't like the way that is because if, if, oh, I kind of have a daughter. If my child just went missing, now mind you, she's 15. He, this daughter is 24. She's in trouble. My, my pseudo child is not into any trouble. She's a very good kid. But if she went missing, 
my first reaction wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'm going to cash a welfare check. It's like, I'd be a little more alarmed as to like, where do they go? Are they okay? She's in California, but is she all right? You know, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I have different my rant was interrupted by a potential spam caller, so sorry, and then at the same time I realized my pants were on backwards, so sorry for that interruption, but I guess it was good timing to get me off that rant. Okay, so Ed was on probation. Stephanie Hunsberger's husband, Ed, was on probation. He was convicted of uh, armed robbery in 1975, page flip, and because of his conviction, he was required to keep... Um, well, to seek help for his addiction and keep in touch with his probation officers. They, Ed and Stephanie, had an appointment in February with a methadone clinic, but they never showed. In March, someone called Smith, um, <clears throat> presumably the, cl- the clinic, I assumed, um, looking for Stephanie, and he said, quote, she had gotten some Placidil and some really good pot, and he had planned to detox his daughter himself. That's not sketchy at all, right, friends? Um, after, uh, after more missed appointments, the clinic assumed the couple relapsed and, um, a warrant was put out for Edward's arrest. On August 19th, 1978, JC was arrested in the parking lot of a local mall. He was carrying multiple loaded guns and a syringe filled with sedative, um, sedative, sedative? Drugs. He had a a syringe full of drugs. (laughs) They searched his home and found three bags of pot and a large collection of prescription pills who he said belonged to his daughter. He said they weren't his, they were his daughter's. We also found security guard uniforms that connected him to several unsolved robberies. He said that he had seen Ed and Steph that day. Um, he was arrested, there were, but I'm, I'm assuming he didn't. Um, there were a ton of sightings of Stephanie, but never um, her husband. These are all from family and family friends and never actually proven. Okay, so flashback to where we were. Susan, Michael, and Karen disappeared on June 22nd, 1979. On June 25th, Susan's naked body was found in a trunk. She was killed with an injection of morphine um, 24 to 36 hours after being beat. Um, And a man had telephoned that he had heard someone sick in the trunk of a car, which led the police to find Susan's remains. When the trial happened, Smith's lawyer um, argued that Bradfield had deliberately framed him. Uh, at which, I mean, I, okay, that does, that seems a little, no, I think you're just a bad guy. <laughs> um, so he spent six years on um, death row, and then there was a, supposed to be a retrial, but the retrial never happened. So that's my answer. Um... And it didn't happen for fear of double jeopardy. I think this was the one... I I researched two cases at the same time, so I have to apologize in advance. I think there... Something happened during the prosecution, and they made a claim or something that they weren't allowed to, they weren't allowed to do. I'm not sure, but something... The prosecution messed something up, and it was, it was all... Circ- not circumstantial, that's not the word I'm looking for. It was um, procedural. It was all procedural. It wasn't anything with evidence. It wasn't anything with a crime. It was all procedural. They filed a motion or something they weren't supposed to do. And um, they were worried they wouldn't convict him again. So they, they were going to do a double, or they were going to retry him, but then they were afraid it was a double jeopardy. And they just let him go. Uh, the son-in-law, Edward, was declared legally dead in 1985. Um, <coughs> so... Mr. Our boy Billy Bradfield, um, he died of a heart failure in 1998. 
He was seen um, serving three life sentences for the Reinhardt murders. They found a photograph in his prison cell. Um, it was a stone marker in a wooded area that looks like a hooded figure developed in 1986. Um, he, um, many people believe that there may have been um, a third person involved. But people think that that picture of the, the stone marker is where the kids are buried. Now here's my, here's my take on this. Here's my theory. Okay. J.C. Smith seems like a pretty fucked up dude, in my opinion, correct? Yes. They both worked at the same... They all worked at the same school, right? There's nothing on Billy Bradfield to suggest that he killed this, this, this family, aside from the fact of the life insurance policy, which, mind you, is very great, okay? What if... And I mind you, what if J.C. Smith wanted to kill Susan for whatever reason of his own, because clearly he had, you know, some dark some dark tendencies, and he may have already killed before his son, or his son-in-law and his daughter, you never know, he may have killed them, and maybe he saw Susan at work, or something, maybe she let him on, maybe he felt belittled by her, you know, maybe there's something, something that we'll never know intertwined in that relationship, and he needed to kill Susan. Well, guess what? Maybe he had heard somewhere that Billy Bradfield had this massive life insurance policy out on herself for him, perfect scapegoat because who are they going to think who are they going to think um caused that murder because if you saw my murder me monday it is always the spouse but in this one time i'm saying maybe it wasn't the boyfriend because maybe maybe it was jc smith thinking he could perfectly get away with murder because everybody else would look at billy bradfield as opposed to him right and he just got caught at the bad at a wrong place at the wrong time. And then I thought it was funny because it's a very like reverse psychology type move there to say like, oh, well, Bradfield deliberately framed me. That sounds a whole lot like a guy who's framing somebody to be put away for murder, right? Or am I just crazy? I don't know. Um, this case I found really fascinating. I didn't really know anything about it. I really enjoyed researching it. Um, you know, I, everybody involved is now deceased, which is unfortunate. We'll never know what really happened. We'll never know, we'll never get to the bottom of it, but that's my theory, and that's, that's all she wrote, and, um, sorry, this one's short. I'm gonna go to bed. Um, I love you guys. Uh, thanks for supporting me. I really appreciate that, and, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed your Chief Crime Tuesday. Sorry I'm sick. (laughs) I'll see you later. Thank you.